0: This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona.
1: You see, we need to be balanced in our understanding of the Word. And the balance of the Scripture, again, goes Old Testament as well as New, dealing with and alluding to not only the idea of man's choice, but the free will of man, Adam and Eve in the garden. God didn't create puppets, did he? He told them, here you are in the garden, only don't eat of this one tree. Well, they had a free will, they had choice. The problem was, they chose wrong. And that's what happens usually when we get our choice, by the way.
0: It may seem that predestination and free will couldn't possibly coexist, but they are both scriptural concepts. How then can we reconcile both of these ideas? They both have different purposes and can be found in a multitude of verses. God's plans from the past, along with our choices in the present, the outcomes for the future, all have a balance concerning predestination and choice. Although difficult, we will be stronger as believers when we can come to understand these principles. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 3, for part one of our message entitled, Chosen But Free.
1: The study in Ephesians, so far, I know it's, uh, it's we're going at a breakneck speed here. At, we're starting in the fourth verse. Just laying the foundation of what Ephesians is about. And it is kind of a difficult thing to teach this way, because sometimes I feel I'm, I'm not really connecting with the congregation as much by giving a whole lot of detail and a whole lot of description as we go. But hopefully, during this portion of the study, Uh, it will bless you, it will uh, encourage you, and it will strengthen you and your whole understanding. Now, we've danced around for these last three weeks during this study in the book of Ephesians to set, like I said, this good foundation to be able to set for you this clear perspective to be able to view the, the book of Ephesians and a clear perspective to be able to look at the topics that we're going to be Investigating during all of this study. And so it's time that we're actually going to uh, speak about the elephant in the room, so to speak, for the book of Ephesians, particularly this first chapter of the book of Ephesians. The elephant is that theological tension that's between predestination and the free will of man, or man's free choice. And we're going to be looking at that. And thus, the title for this morning's message is Chosen but Free. Chosen but Free. So I want to begin reading the passage again, and as I shared with you, I'm going to read verse 3, though we looked at it in quite detail, I'm going to read on through verse 14, because I want you to know and understand the context of all that we're speaking, and there's no way for me to cover all the 14 verses in one setting, well there probably is, but you know me, I wouldn't be able to do that myself. But uh, I I do want to read it. I want to bring it into the context, okay? So beginning in verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 1, we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. Verse 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. Verse 11, in him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according
0: to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of His
1: will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. It's all about Him. That's the thing we need to remember in all of this. It's all about God. We are the recipients of the blessings, but it is all about Him. But let's, even before we get into the verses, I want to look at the conflict first. I want to look at the conflict of what to do with that issue of predestination and the free will of man. Predestination is very clear in these passages in In the past, as I've taught through Ephesians, I had one guy come up to me as we were going through this, because I didn't take the time to really lay it out as well as I am this time. And he came up to me as I was, or after the teaching, he came and says, well, you sound very much like a Calvinist to me. And if you know what that is, um, I'm not one, okay? Uh, I just want you to know that. Uh, But yet there are places within the scripture that we see this predestination very, very clearly. If we're to be honest with ourselves, we have to agree that both of these issues are seen throughout the scripture, both in the Old Testament as well as in the New. And so in all honesty, neither predestination or election, nor the free will and the choice of man, can be denied. And neither of them can be overruled by the other. So that's the tension that we have of these two concepts. And rabbinical and biblical scholars for for years they've debated this issue rabbinical scholars dealing with old testament situations of of the same thing predestination election and then the free choice of man and, and even biblical scholars of recent years continue to debate these issues volumes have been written denominations have been split and reformed so we probably won't settle the issue today, okay? I just want to uh, encourage all that. We're probably not going to settle it uh, completely. The best I can hope for is to give you some understanding so that at least it will open up the possibility of being able to accept them both, because I believe that that's the way that we need to take it. Now you might ask, or some might ask, well, how can we accept them both since there's this irreconcilable contradiction to each other? Well, let me begin by saying that the question is wrong because there's not an irreconcilable contradiction between the two. Let me ask you this question: Can a slave or someone imprisoned be free at the same time? And a slave or someone in prison, be free at the same time. On the surface, it would say, well, no, if you're a slave, you can't be free. Or if you're in prison, you can't be free. But if you understand the whole idea and the concept that a man can be a slave to his passions and to his desires, and yet he can be very free (coughs) to to move around. Also, we understand even as, as believers, uh, we understand full well that an individual can be imprisoned. He can be behind prison bars, the steel bars of a prison, and yet be free in, in heart and soul and mind, because again, his trust and his faith is in Christ. We know that not only in our prison systems here in the United States that have people who have come to Christ since being in prison, but also in other countries where they are imprisoned because of their faith in Christ, yet they are free, though they are imprisoned. And even Paul, the author of much of our New Testament, even as he wrote Ephesians, he was imprisoned. He was in chains, real metal chains. And yet, I I, I don't think any of us would ever doubt the fact that Paul was a free man, free of spirit, free of understanding, free in Christ. So, We look at these two things, we look at these conditions, we look at these positions being slave and at the same time being free, and they can be totally different in concept and purpose and outcome, and yet still they can exist at the same time together. Am I making sense to you there? Is that connecting? Because that really is the issue that we look at here with predestination and free will that they are different, different in concept, different in in purpose, uh, even different in outcome, but yet they also coexist together. They're both biblical concepts. We need to recognize the existence of, of a multitude of passages, both Old Testament and New Testament, that speak of the idea of the work of predestination, also dealing with election. It also deals in the concept of the sovereignty of God. All of those things. Among the Old Testament verses and the New Testament verses that we could look at, we could go back all the way to the calling of Abram out of Ur of the Chaldeans. Why was Abraham chosen and why not, you know, George over here? God chose Abram for a purpose and for a reason. We move on from Abram and we find that God chose Isaac over Ishmael. We find out that God chose Jacob over Esau. We find out later that God chose the nation Israel Over all the other nations of the world. Why? Because God was working a plan and a purpose out. We can move into the uh, New Testament, even the verses that we just read here in Ephesians. He chose us in him. He predestined us to be adopted. Paul in the book of Romans, chapters eight and nine, that means he just really expands upon the whole idea of God's foreknowledge and God's choosing and God's election. In Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30, he writes these things. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. And then in chapter 9, he writes, So then, it's not to him who wills, nor to him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wills, and on whom he wills, he pardons. Now those are some tough passages, and I understand that. But if we understand completely, again, the whole concept of these things, it makes it, again, so that we can receive it, and we can be stronger as believers because of it. Jesus himself told us in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 44. He says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Say, Pastor, that's, that's pretty strong predestination stuff. That's pretty strong election stuff. How do you get around that? By looking at the balance of the Scripture. You see, we need to be balanced in our understanding of the Word. And the balance of the Scripture, again, goes Old Testament as well as New, dealing with And alluding to, not only the idea of man's choice, but the free will of man. Adam and Eve in the garden. God didn't create puppets, did he? He told them, here you are in the garden, only don't eat of this one tree. Well, they had a free will, they had choice. The problem was, they chose wrong. And that's what happens usually when we get our choice, by the way. In Joshua chapter 24, at the end of Joshua's life, after he had led the children of Israel into that promised land, he understood again the the wickedness of our own choices, and he understood that, that as they continue to grow in that land, they're probably going to slip away from the Lord, and he tells us in Joshua 24 verse 15, he's speaking to Israel there, and he says, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Rather than the gods which our fathers served or the gods of the Amorites. They had to choose But they were the chosen people. So how do we justify that? They were the chosen people elected by God. And yet Joshua is saying, choose who you're going to serve. A little bit later, Elijah, the great prophet of the Old Testament, he came to the people during this whole battle of the, uh, the prophets of Baal. Mm-hmm. And he speaks to them in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. Man's choice. And he's speaking to the people of Israel. Those who were the chosen ones. The ones who God called as his own. We slip over into the New Testament, and Jesus speaking in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. He gives this open invitation, very open invitation. He says, come to me, you who are the elect, if you're weary and burdened. No, that's not what he said. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. A very open evangelistic invitation for all that would come. The, the very passage, almost all of us know, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Paul writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, he speaks to Timothy, and, uh, again, he says, I urge then, first of all, that requests and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made for everyone. Because this is good and it pleases God, our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. God's desire, according to the Apostle Paul, is that he wants all men to be saved. God's desire, according to Scripture, is that the invitation is wide open whosoever will may come peter tells us in second peter chapter 3 verse 9 says that the lord is not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance so on the one hand we have those that are very chosen we have that predestination we have that election on the other hand we have the free choice and the will and the whosoever's of the bible I like what Dr. Uh, Anders, who wrote in Ollman's uh, New Testament commentary, wrote in dealing with this whole idea of predestination or the sovereignty of God uh, versus free will. And he writes this, The Bible teaches that God is sovereign. The Bible also teaches that people can make choices. If you try to merge the two ideas, you'll distort the truth. If you try to remove all tension between the two, you'll destroy one or the other of the truths and possibly both of them. We say there's an apparent mutually exclusive truth because the truths cannot actually be mutually exclusive. And what he means by mutually exclusive is, in essence, you have to have one or the other. You either have to have the predestination, you have to have the sovereignty of God, or you have to have free will. And he says that's not necessarily true. They both exist in the word of God. Thus he continues. He says if they were mutually exclusive, in other words, not able to have both of them at the same time, if they were mutually exclusive, then God would become the author of the impossible and perhaps even of nonsense. Why? Because both of them are in his word. Why would he put both of them in? He writes on, he says, they appear, they appear to us as mutually exclusive because of a limitation either of our information or intelligence or both. The two truths are not mutually exclusive to God. He has them both. So, how do we deal with that? We have to commit intellectual suicide in order to say, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll take both of them. I just throw, you know, logic out the window. No, I don't believe that you have to commit intellectual suicide to be able to receive them. And here's a couple of reasons why. Number one, an infinite revelation. An infinite revelation will always take a finite mind beyond its intelligence. I'll say it again infinite revelation will always take a finite mind beyond its intelligence now if you understand that some of you have dogs I know some of you have dogs <laughs> I know that you don't call them dogs you call them sweetie or lovey-do or uh, <laughs> uh spot or they're, they're you're like your children and some of you, some of the strangest of you, uh, yeah, I mean, you know,
0: <laughs> as you can tell,
1: I don't have one. Uh, but, uh, you, have trained your dog. Your dog can do a multitude of things. Your dog can, uh, go and fetch your, uh, slippers, or it can, it can roll over and play dead. It can do all kinds of stuff. You've trained it through the dog's intellect, okay? I dare say none of your dogs, and, and I, I, I don't want to, again, offend you at all. <laughs> the intelligence of your dog, but none of your dogs will ever be a physics professor. (laughs) Just incapable. Just incapable. Because they are limited in their intelligence. I know your dog isn't, but most dogs are limited (laughs) in their intelligence. In the same way, we, in our finite mind, there's no way we can comprehend some of these truths to the utmost because it is an infinite revelation take for instance the fact that most new testament believing evangelical churches stand by the doctrine of the trinity and yet to logically and clearly define the trinity It is an endless task. It's it's nearly impossible. Why? Because it is an infinite concept, and we try to explain it in our finite minds
0: and don't tell me about, you know, water, steam, and ice. It doesn't
1: work that way. Don't speak to me about the fact that I'm a grandfather, a father, and a son all at the same time. That's not the same as the Trinity. Don't tell me about the egg. You've got the egg shell, you've got the yolk, and you've got the white of the egg. It's not the same as the Trinity. We see it within Scripture, but to be able to explain it in a, in a very clear and fully understandable way... It is an infinite concept that we try to pull into our finite mind. The second reason that I don't believe that we commit intellectual suicide by believing that there's both free will and also predestination or the choice or the election of God is is that if we know anything about God, we've got to realize that we will never know everything about God this side of eternity. As a matter of fact, the the more we learn of God, the more grand he becomes. The deeper we go into our study of God, the the wider the, the expanse of who he is. And that's why we have to come to the place where the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 11. He says, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor? Who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him. For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. I think Paul just kind of got to that. Man, God is just so far beyond our comprehension. We can't even begin to get there. Quickly, the the third reason for the fact that we don't commit intellectual suicide is if we attempt to present the concept of God's plans and God's purposes into a tidy little box of six or five or seven points, then we've created for ourselves what's been called a manageable deity. We've brought God down to a form that, that now we can grasp, we can understand, and in essence we control by our logic how God moves and how God doesn't move. And that's a dangerous place to be. Therefore, I don't believe that it's intellectual suicide to say that the Bible teaches both human free will and divine election. I don't fully understand it, but I have no problem embracing them both. So having said that, we need to understand that what we're going to be looking at in these verses does not negate the other. Some have shared with me the way that they best understand this whole idea of predestination and free will. is As we go into heaven across the, the, the top of the gates entering into heaven, there's this big sign that declares whosoever will, may come. And then as you walk through that gate and you turn around and you look at the backside of it, and it says chosen before the foundation of the world. Now, that's a nice, easy way to understand it, but Again, it's, it's not the fullness of it, we understand that, but that's fine, I, I have no problem with that. We come to an understanding that it's the choice of God in the past, working in our choice of the present, looking toward a completed work in the future.
0: It seems that more and more people are getting caught up in a works-based expression of their faith. Ephesians two eight says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. This is the book Pastor David is currently teaching through, Ephesians. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to www.theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although the Open Word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the Word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. If not, we'd like to invite you to join us at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for worship on Saturday evenings, Sunday mornings, or Wednesday evenings. For service times, driving directions, and more information, log on to TheOpenWord.com. And follow the link to the church website. Finally, we want to encourage you to follow us on Twitter, the Open Word Radio, or log on to theOpenWord.com and follow the link right there on the homepage. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to the Open Word with David Landry. Please join us next time as Pastor David continues teaching verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. That's next time on the open word.